Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hey, 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 everyone. This episode has been highly requested, but by the time this airs, it might be just a little awkward timing because school will have already started. But maybe this will be kind of timely if you're planning to start a winter spring program or if you're just looking into programs for next year. So today we're talking all things preschool. I'm going to share what kinds of learning environments are more conducive to a neurodivergent brain with sensory needs, and I'll also share my top two red flags when you're looking for a program. I do really want to preface this episode by just acknowledging the fact that to be able to be in the position where you even get to choose the preschool program is a privilege, and I am well aware of that. I know that in some communities with limited resources or overflowing classrooms or even just limited in their geographical location, there's challenges. So you may not even have the option of choosing between preschool programs, and I completely get that. So this episode is for anyone who does have the option between preschools and being able to shop around for the best program for your child. It can get quite overwhelming when you're weighing all of the factors, and I do have to say It is pretty rare to find one program that checks every single box. So you might have to sacrifice on things like location, budget, days of the week that it's available, or even times of the day that they're available. They might have morning programs, afternoon programs, only full day, only half day. There's so many variabilities. And then on top of all that, maybe you find the perfect program and there's still a two-year wait list. So I'm not trying to burst your bubble or be a negative Nancy, but those are things that I just like to remind parents up front. And just to remember that at the end of all of it, the most important fit is that between your child and the teachers. So a good set of preschool teachers will do their very best to accommodate your child's learning needs. So assuming that you already filter out preschools that don't fit your location filter, your budget filter, or the waitlist filter, and you're still left with more than one school to decide between, here are the things that I would pay attention to. First off, I want to point out some huge red flags or things that were deal breakers, at least for me, when I was interviewing and touring preschools. If they didn't pass these two filters, I crossed them off my list. And if you're new here, Quick reminder, my daughter has sensory processing disorder and anxiety, and she tends to be more sensitive to a lot of sensory stimuli, and she needs a lot of help with her emotional regulation. So these were the two main deal breakers uh, that like once they passed those other filters, I started looking at these two things, and if they didn't pass this test, then I crossed them off my list immediately. So the first was I looked at their classroom management. Preschoolers have lots of challenging behaviors, even without SPD. But the thing is, a lot of SPD behaviors can look like, quote, bad behaviors or things that would normally get a child in trouble if they were in a standard behavior-based classroom. 
So one thing I always look out for is how the teachers manage behaviors. If you see a preschool classroom that uses things like clip charts or card charts or any publicly displayed behavior chart, I would look at crossing it off your list. So a clip chart is when each child's name or in seriously in one classroom I went to, it had pictures of each child's face on on a clothespin, which was terrible, but it has some way of identifying each student on a clothespin. And there's usually like a color chart with a range of colors like red, yellow, orange, green, blue, and usually red or purple is like bad and means you have to go see the principal or get a call home or your parents or even worse, miss recess. And every time you, which is the child, does something quote bad, your clip moves down a color. It's really a form of public shame, and it's so bad on so many reasons. There are several styles of this kind of behavior management using stickers or cards that kids have to pull if they talk out of place, or maybe a teacher would write their name on the board and add like a check mark on it to show how many strikes they get. It's just all, all bad and is is too public in front of the, the classroom that it makes it feel like they're placing shame on the child. So if you see any form of this public style of behavior management, I would cross that school off your list. If you have a child with sensory processing disorder, chances are they have meltdowns often or maybe have a hard time keeping their body to themselves or maybe get aggressive more often. So you want to know how this is handled. I made sure to ask if the teachers used timeout or sending the child to sit outside in the hall or be by themselves at all. If they said yes to either a timeout or like having the child sit by themselves um, to like cool down, I crossed it off my list because children in the preschool age need to help need help with regulation. They need to be co-regulated with. Leaving them alone as like a punishment is not acceptable. Usually this did actually coincide with programs that use the public forms of behavior management anyway, so it was easy to like cross it off, but I would definitely ask the teachers. So the second deal breaker for me was making sure that there was a second teacher or second adult in the classroom at all times. Most preschool programs will have a ratio of like one to eight kids or one to 12, but there's usually a classroom aide, if not another actual teacher there. Sometimes the office or administration will have some kind of floating staff who can help when there's a a class that needs it, but I specifically knew that my daughter would need some significant help, especially during meltdowns or other sensory trigger times, that if there were only one teacher available, she would not get the help or support that she needed. All right, so now let's talk about some general aspects of preschool programs that work for any sensory profile of sensory processing disorder. So whether your child is a sensory seeker or sensory sensitive, a preschool program with these following aspects would get brownie points in my book. So the first is a small class size. It goes without saying, of course, we all would love our children to be in a small class size and get more attention and learning attention from the teacher. But for kids with sensory processing disorder, this makes a huge difference, not just in the way that they get access to the teacher for academic reasons, but for a sensory sensitive child, remember one that has a small sensory cup, this also means less students in the classroom, which would mean less overall stimulation, less sounds, less clutter, less crowded areas, all of that. 
Then for a sensory seeker, this means that there's more space and less chance for them to bump into peers or have difficulty with body awareness. It may also mean that the classroom and teacher has more time or ability to focus on providing any sensory supports or tools for each child, whether they're a seeker or a sensitive child. Then the next thing I would look for is, I mentioned this earlier in the deal breaker list, but making sure that there's more than one adult available in the classroom, ideally another teacher, but sometimes there's a classroom aide or another teacher's helper. Another thing that's helpful to look for is to look into the amount of structure that's offered in the program throughout the day. So I like to look for programs that have some sort of structure. So children with sensory processing disorder thrive with structure. I want you to imagine first preschool programs on a spectrum of how much structure they offer. So where the lowest structured programs are more of the free choice all day, outdoor mostly programs. And on the other side of the spectrum are the traditional academic focused, sit at the table with your hands in your lap, multiple transitions and structured activities in a day kind of program. A sensory seeker will need a program with moderate structure. A sensory sensitive child or anxious child, remember sometimes they overlap, will need moderate to high structure. So if your child has executive functioning challenges on top of this, the loose structure or no structure classrooms, sometimes they're not even classrooms, sometimes they're just outdoor programs, this might also be hard for them. And again, I also want to say that this is not the case for every single child with sensory processing disorder or every single child with executive functioning. This is just based on my experience from clients that I've had in the past when I've had to consult with them in their classrooms. And I have found patterns of classrooms and environments that work for particular profiles. I also want to insert another little note here. There are pros to going to those outdoor programs. Even the indoor child-led programs and those that offer free play all day, those have pros. The one thing I love about those is that the sensory exploration and movement they provide is just so organic and it's limitless. So in that sense, it's great for sensory processing kids, especially sensory seekers who would otherwise stick out like a sore thumb in a traditional academic-based program who couldn't sit still at the table. However, without any structure at all, it can breed more dysregulation in seekers and also make it really hard for sensory sensitive or anxious kids to feel safe and really have confidence in how they engage in their environment. So if your sensory sensitive child is also anxious and is anything like Liliana, then some of the child-led programs like Montessori, for example, can be really hard for them with that open-ended nature kind of the program. Again, I want to stress, I do love the Montessori approach. I love the Montessori classroom. I love the environment. It's just not for all kids. And I know Liliana would have a really hard time in one of those programs. The other thing I would look for in a program is to look for programs that focus or specialize in social emotional learning. If you walk into a preschool program or environment that has a specific curriculum in social emotional learning, or you see zones of regulation um, posters on the wall, and also utilizes things like gentle discipline or conscious discipline, this is a real winner. I feel like if I were to prioritize things, I would prioritize having social emotional skills built into the program, as well as a gentle discipline-based behavior management system as one of my key 
tests to pass when searching for preschool programs, especially for a sensory sensitive or anxious child, if that's the kind of child that you have. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, remember that when children with SPD become dysregulated in the classroom or on the playground, it can come out as a lot of behaviors that can be misread and misunderstood as as being a bad kid. And you want a program with educators who can co-regulate with your child and meet their regulation needs first versus a program that will jump straight to, to discipline without regulating them first or worse jumping straight to punishment for those kinds of behaviors. So the last thing I would look for in a preschool program is a preschool program with educators who actually know what SPD is. You would be surprised how many parents I hear from who said that after they interviewed or spoke with the child's prospective preschool teachers, the teachers kind of had a blank stare when the parents mentioned sensory needs or SPD, like they had no idea what it was. And in 2021, I'd expect all preschool teachers to at least recognize the word sensory or SPD, not be experts, of course, but at least not be a stranger or an alien to what it is. So if you are getting like a blank stare or like they have no idea what SPD is, it's probably not the best program for your child, or you may want to dig a little deeper with them and find out how much they do understand about some of the behaviors that you that you see in your child. Okay, so that's it. I hope that you found this information helpful when touring preschools and trying to make the decision for your child and your family. Again, I know how stressful this can be and you always feel like You'll never know if you're making the right decision or not, but I hope that this at least guides your search for the future. Lastly, before I sign off, I do want to say a huge thank you to Heather for sponsoring my nice cozy cup of coffee this morning. I've had to pause recording this podcast a few times to sneak in some sips because it's so good. I went to a local coffee shop here that's one of my favorites. So Heather, thank you so much for your sweet message and funding my caffeine addiction. Heather submitted a question and Heather said, Hi, my name is Heather and I have a four-year-old son who seems to never sit still. How do I know if this is a sensory thing or if it's just his age or if it's because he's a boy? Thank you so much for what you do and for answering my question. All right, this is such a good question. So when parents ask if their child's behavior is worth looking into, I'm always the kind of person, first of all, to err on the side of caution. I tend to lean into ruling things out first meaning go there's no there's no harm in going to get things checked by an OT or getting them assessed but as a general rule of thumb if a parent were to call me to inquire about getting their child evaluated I do ask some questions first and the first thing I will always want to know after you tell me what their behaviors are and what are what's concerning to you is I will ask how much does your child's behavior impact your meaning you the parent or, or the family or the child's daily life So some examples include, do the seeking behaviors inhibit your son's ability to eat? Does it inhibit his ability to participate in an age-appropriate activity or a game? Is it prohibiting him from making friends or keeping friends or knowing how to interact with friends? Is it impacting his ability to sleep? So you want to consider how impactful the seeking behaviors are to your daily lives. And this answer could change for anybody. It really depends on what your family dynamics look like. If it does stop you and your family, or if it stops your son from going places or being able to enjoy certain activities or environments, I would consider getting an OT evaluation or at least a screening 
at a local clinic. It doesn't hurt to call and you could talk through some more questions with them and see if this is the right stop for you. But I would definitely look into it if it's starting to impact you daily. I hope that was helpful, Heather. And anyone out there, if you want to sponsor my next cup of coffee and send me a message or question for future episodes, you can head to theotbutterfly.com slash coffee. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.